This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting against ageism in the workplace and the marketplace. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. A new report drills down on the stereotypes that feed ageism in the workforce. And the first cookbook inspired by the latest Canada Food Guide promises a different but delicious way to eat. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. What is the upper limit of the human lifespan? New research suggests our bodies could last up to 150 years, but no more. The study, published in Nature Communications, counts blood cells and footsteps to predict a hard limit to our longevity. Researchers report that even omitting the things that usually kill us, like cancer, heart disease, or getting hit by a bus, our body's capacity to restore its systems still fades with time. And even if we make it through life with few stressors, this incremental decline sets the maximum lifespan for humans at somewhere between 120 and 150 years. We're able to assist everybody from hikers and prospectors out in the field to possibly um, nurses that could... um, that walk all day. Queen's University researchers have developed a prototype for a device that will help make walking easier. They've designed a backpack that's meant to help people walk longer distances while using less energy. This exoskeleton prototype removes energy, which helps the knee muscles swing easier and saves up energy for more walking. The researchers have just secured a patent, and the next step is to commercialize the device. The study is published in the journal science. The Manitoba government is launching a million-dollar grant program in the hopes of helping vaccine-hesitant communities persuade residents to get their shots. The money will be broken down into grants of up to $20,000 that can be applied for by various kinds of groups with plans to reach their community. With increased supply and nearly 70% of Manitobans vaccinated, the Premier says the big challenge is to reach the other 30%. Buckingham Palace has unveiled plans to celebrate Queen Elizabeth's Platinum Jubilee. Four days of festivities are to begin with her ceremonial birthday parade in one year. It'll begin with the Trooping of the Colour, a parade of more than 1,400 soldiers that marks the Queen's official birthday. There will also be a Thanksgiving service at St. Paul's Cathedral to mark her 70 years on the throne and a live concert. The 95-year-old Queen ascended to the throne in 1952 at the age of 25. She is the longest reigning Queen of England in history. Are you filming me? Okay, Karen. 
Karen has become the least popular name for baby girls in the U.S. now that it's a social media slur. What's a Karen? The name has evolved from someone entitled who has a specific style haircut and always wants to speak to the manager if they don't get their way. The insult targets middle-aged women because the name was so popular in the 50s and 60s. Now it has dropped 171 spots in the name popularity rankings to number 831, its lowest rank since 1929. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Over the last two decades, the number of Zoomers in the workforce has nearly tripled, but they are subject to pervasive negative typecasting that holds them back. A new report from federal, provincial, and territorial ministers responsible for seniors surveys the stereotypes that feed into ageism. I talked to demographic expert David Kravitz, CARP's chief membership officer. Most of this report is a summary of other research that's been conducted around the world. And it does show that older workers limit themselves by some misperceptions of, you know, what they bring to the party. There's a kind of a deliberately shortchanging, not deliberately, but consciously shortchanging oneself. Employers are reluctant to hire uh, older workers or to retain older workers for all kinds of reasons, that many of which have to do with uh, ageism. The younger workers look down on older workers for a whole set of reasons, some of which, not all, but some of which have to do with ageism. And then society in general treats this as a kind of a, an aberration that there should even be an older worker. And I thought that was where the report was interesting. In particular, they talked about the whole notion that you're supposed to retire at 65, if that's locked and loaded as the norm, then is it that one factor alone in and of itself that's making me look askance at maybe a 55-year-old or a 60-year-old? You know, you're only five years away from the end. So, of course, you're not the same as a younger worker. So maybe the whole retirement model is partly responsible for this. Mandatory retirement has been abolished for a while now. Yes, but the pension system, the, if you think about the sum total of all the advertising that goes on about uh, retirement and pensions and post-retirement and how many people are planning to retire at 65 and how much money do you need to live on a pension after 65, it's not so much the legal uh, concept of uh, retiring at 65, but if that's the benchmark, if that's the norm, if the, what if there was no such thing? What if the word didn't exist and you were a 55-year-old in the workplace? Would that remove some of ageism? And uh, to be fair, the report doesn't say that is the only thing, but I found that kind of interesting because you don't hear that very much, that the whole model may in itself be partly responsible uh, for some of the ageism that we do see. On the part of employers, uh, one of the cliches that you often hear from them against hiring somebody older is that they don't have enough runway. Well, that's exactly right. And they don't, they don't have enough runway. And, and the problem there is that by definition, the narrowest definition, it's obviously true. A 25-year-old or a 30-year-old statistically has more years of work Avail ahead of him than somebody who's 65. There's just no no question about it. So they're using that. But I also found another interesting thing in the report: the number of employers that are worried about 
benefits increased use of the healthcare system, increased likelihood of being off work because of health issues, insurance claims. If my workforce is too old, am I going to get a higher uh, experience factor or experience rating from my insurance company? Is that going to drive up my benefit costs? So there's a whole financial uh, thing that doesn't get talked about much, which I also found interesting, and the report did highlight that. One of the persistent things that I see, and that's cited as a societal level of ageism, there's a perception that the longer an older worker stays in their job, they are keeping a younger person from getting ahead, and it's terrible. It's a very good point, and to the credit of the people that assembled this document, these panel of ministers, they actually do address that. They mention that. And they quote, uh, I think, two research papers, I don't have them uh, off the top of my head, to show that that is not true, that there is enough variety uh, in the labor force and there is enough dynamism in the labor force that this kind of either-or model of, uh, I haven't retired yet, therefore I'm blocking somebody else, uh, is, is another myth. All of this was done before the pandemic. Do you have a sense of how the pandemic has affected things? I I know I've heard from some people like doctors who've said, if if I had known how hard this was going to be, I would have retired early. Well, I think there's, there's, there's actually dramatic evidence of both sides of the equation. One is Exactly to your point. I, what am I still doing here? I should have gotten out of this. But on the other hand, there is uh, some evidence, particularly, uh, usually there's more stats coming out of the U.S. than here. But the number of older workers who said, if I had to keep working because my pension was inadequate or I was going to live longer, that whole, you know, outliving your money, which is a whole new meme. If if that was true before, it's even more true now. I thought I was going to be able to retire, but now I can't afford to. What's the bottom line on all of this? Number one, we have to keep up a strong fight. And CARP is certainly heavily engaged in this against ageism in the workplace. I think we have to do a better job of telling the story of the positive skills and the positive advantages that older workers bring to the party so it doesn't just become a matter of, you know, be nice to the the old folks and human rights and so on, which that is very important, but ultimately we have to show what the economic value, and there is a huge economic value, to uh, retaining older workers, recruiting older workers, letting older people come back out of retirement, perhaps part-time, to bring their knowledge and skills to bear to the advantage of companies. And then looking forward, we're going to need those older workers as workers and as taxpayers, frankly. David Kravitz, thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Libby. Thank you. That was demographic expert David Kravitz, CARP's chief membership officer. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up... A new cookbook shows us how to follow the newest Canada food guide where fruits and vegetables are the stars of the plate. Coming up, a new cookbook shows us how to follow the newest Canada food guide where fruits and vegetables are the stars of the plate. 
You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, Canada's largest and most influential association fighting for the interests of Canadians as we age. Find out more at carp.ca. It's the first cookbook inspired by the two-year-old Canada Food Guide, and it comes just as many of us are trying to get back on track after pandemic stress eating and weight gain. I talked to author Rose Reisman about what she calls a meal revolution. Rose Reisman, congratulations on your new book. Thank you so much, Libby. I'm very excited about it. It's billed as the first cookbook that plays to Canada's food guide. How so? The food guide was changed two years ago. I think there's been about seven versions now. And this one is really what I think is the key, the the real standard, the gold standard for how people should be eating. It's very much based on the Mediterranean diet. But guess what? There's no serving sizes. You're not counting calories. You're not counting grams of fat here. It's simple. It consists of three food categories, fruits and vegetables, uh, consisting of half your plate, fruit and or vegetables, whatever you want to do on that plate. And that sounds like a lot to people. This is what we're trying to push people towards. A quarter of the plate would be 100% grain. So the old food guide was, you know, whether it was bread or crackers, preferred grains should be whole wheat. But here they're saying 100% whole grains. The other quarter of it is now called protein. So no longer meat and alternatives, but protein consisting of anything from meat, chicken, fish, but really pushing the plant proteins more than anything else. And the choice of drink is always water. And in the old food guide, juice was considered a fruit. It's not a fruit. So this food guide I love because it's simple, but the question is how do we get people to start adapting to it in a, in a more formative way? So when you look at the book, most of the recipes, they'll all be a nice uh, balance between more veggies and or fruit, uh, cooked, steamed, roasted veggies, raw veggies, and then you'll see it highlighted with the protein. So for instance, I have um, a kale chicken Caesar salad. The platter is all filled with kale, some veggies, chickpeas, a lovely light Caesar dressing, and on top of it goes the chicken, which is usually sliced in medallions. So that's now the look of what you want. So when you go into a restaurant today, you shouldn't be sitting down to a big bowl of pasta, which is usually three to four cups. You're really only supposed to have a cup now, according to this. So what do you do? You add a lot more veggies and you have a little bit of protein. So it, it is a new teaching for people, no question. Is this more a matter of adjusting in your mind the yes. relative proportion? Yes. But also these are ideas, I mean, I'm looking through the book and everything mm-hmm. looks delicious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it, everything looks delicious, and most of the meals are made in that sense. I mean, sometimes you'll see, for instance, if you look on page 188, my roasted salmon with honey, mustard, pistachio crust, what you want to do is that piece of salmon alone would be seven to eight ounces. You would be cutting that in half. So you'd have way more cherry tomatoes, way more asparagus, and then you could serve like a, a brown rice or a quinoa on the side. Really? That looks yeah. like <laughs> yeah. I, I need that much salmon all the time. Well, well that's the key. See, we are all eating too much animal protein. So uh, in terms of you're having uh, more beans, 
more nuts, more seeds, peanut butter, tofu, edamame in your diet. That's what we're trying to push people towards. So I would say have half that salmon, double up on those veggies, and then have a grain on the side. So it is trying to get people away from something that we all do in North America. We're very heavy on our proteins and not plant proteins. You don't see people sitting down to three cups of chickpeas. They're more so eating more meat, more fish, more chicken. And we're trying to say, let's let's put that animal protein a little bit on the back burner. In other words, there's a secondary actor. The main actor is going to be the veggies, the grains, the plant protein. Feel free to make your life easy and just, you know, roast or grill or steam up some a really good heavy side of vegetables. So I think the key is what, I mean, even when my husband, and he's in good shape, a good healthy body weight, but I look at his plate and always say, you got way too many grains there. Like, it's great, but why not eat more, put more veggies on there? It's a real, it's a new thing for people to do, but it really is a much healthier way for lifestyle. One, for even people who want to maintain a healthier body weight, have more energy, and um, the more animal protein we, we have, we usually find that we just want to sit down and, you know, relax after that. Our energy is, is gone. This is coming out just as we seem to be at the end of the pandemic. Right. It has blown up a lot of people's eating habits. Oh, yeah. Many people have gained weight, and many people want to get back on track. So what do you recommend for them? I mean, we call it the COVID-15, and, and I don't tell anyone to beat themselves up. I had issues the first couple months being at home, feeling stressed, anxious, low moods. I did turn to comfort food. And then we got into, you know, the Uber and Dash Door, and we could order whatever we wanted, and we tended to order more comfort food. So now it's a time, I, I'd say that most people I've looked at over the last 15 months are all saying, I, I got to get back on track. I don't feel as good. I'm definitely heavier. And now it's back to, okay, life is starting to become more normal. Take care of your health. This is one way you can do it. And heading, Libby, especially into the summer is wonderful because you, anywhere you go, fresh produce is right, right in your face. You can never eat enough fruits and vegetables. And consider fruit and vegetables. I love this term. It's nature's candy. And now at this time of year, from now until October, we just have the most beautiful produce. So it's a great time to kickstart healthy eating because it's so much easier to do. And when you're out on your barbecue, lay low on the meat, the sausages, the pork back ribs. Let's not be doing that every other day. Let's try to, you know, do some more fish, uh, do some tofu tempeh on there, or grains. Just have a lovely grain vegetable dish for dinner. There's nothing wrong with that. Anything else? Listen, great desserts in here. Also using some coconut sugar instead of regular sugar, a lot of gluten-free desserts. I love to have dessert every night in my home. So I'm telling people, where does it fit in on that plate? It may not, but we're all human, and you got to have a dessert. <laughs> that is a good note to yes. end on. Rose Reisman, thanks so much. Libby, thank you. Always a pleasure. That was Rose Reisman on Meal Revolution, her new cookbook inspired by Canada's Food Guide. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Huddy, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.